0: Hello, welcome to Desert Island Books, a podcast about reading. I'm your host and resident librarian, Natalie Mason from the Melbourne Library Service. Joining me is a special guest who will share their top three all-time favourite books. Beverly Wang is a journalist and producer who has worked for major media organisations in Australia and the United States. She's a graduate of the University of Toronto and holds a Master's of Arts degree in Journalism from New York University. Since joining the ABC in 2009, she has produced news, current affairs and magazine-style programs for Radio Australia, ABC News Radio and Radio National. Since 2012, she worked as an executive producer on Radio National's flagship Drive program. Beverly hosts my favourite Australian podcast, It's Not a Race. You can listen to season one and two and cross your fingers for a third season. My fingers are numb waiting for the third season, but I'll ask her nicely uh, and see when one's coming. Beverly co-hosts a weekly show on Radio National with Benjamin Law and Lauren Rosewarne. And uh, the title eludes me. Stop everything with an exclamation point. Welcome to your desert island, Beverly. Thank you. It's lovely here. You warm enough? I'm I'm very well. I'm... I'm Yeah, it's okay. It's good to be on a desert island. It's windy today. Yeah. Yes. I'll see if I can turn that down. I'm not sure if I have any power, but (laughs) if I can. I mean, it's probably flapping the book pages and it's making it hard to read. Well, it's a good thing I've committed these books to memory. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, that's amazing. Don't even need the books themselves. They're just there. (laughs) Well, without further ado, let's delve into them. Could you please reveal the title and author of book one? Book
1: number one. Is an all-time childhood favorite, and I probably do know this book almost by memory. It's Anne of Green Gables by Ellen Montgomery, Lucy Maud Montgomery.
0: What a name, Lucy Maud. Yeah, it's
1: old defin- school. It's of its time, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Maud. That's that name. Those two names are probably back in style now for naming babies. Yes. Yeah.
0: She's a Maud without an E. Mm-hmm. Harold and Maud. With remember that e, film? Lesson sure. E. Tell
1: me about Anne. So I can't remember when I read Anne for the first time, but I have since read Anne and all of the sequels and a lot of other offshoot books many, many, many times. And, you know, as a family, the 1980s CBC Anne of Green Gables series is, is something that we watch as a family over and over and over again. Is that the classic iconic... That's the classic iconic one for me, to the point that I think when Netflix came out with a darker Anne series, I just refused to watch it. It's called Anne with an E? Yes. I haven't watched it. I don't plan to.
0: I can't go there either. There's no Jonathan Crombie. Rest in peace. I feel like there's only one Pride and Prejudice to watch. The BBC one, right? Not Keira Knightley. Correct. Yes, Yes, That's right. And I feel like there's one Anne of Green Gables. I only have space in my heart for one of those. Yes. Yeah. It's a big heart, but still, there's a lot of TV to put in there. <laughs> That's right. So you yeah. have to prioritize. It's locked, the
1: keys run right away. I can't change that bit.
0: Now, you said you've read all of these books. Yes. Do you remember them? I the know tons. them all. Do shall, you? I, shall I read them all for you? Oh, please. This is
1: this is off the top of my head. I know this. Okay, are you ready? Again. Yes. Please. Anne of Green Gables, Anne of Avonlea, Anne of the Island, Anne of Winnie Poplars, Anne's House of Dreams, Anne of Ingelside. That's right. Rainbow Valley. Correct. All about her children. Rilla of Ingleside, about her daughter. That's right. Named after Marilla. And there are other books, but not of the Anne genre.
0: No, they're about Avonlea. I think they're about people that live in Avonlea. There's Emily of New Moon. Oh, that's right. And there is a
1: book called The Blue Castle, which is just a one off. And I think I read that one and I thought to myself, no, there's no sex in it. But it was a little bit sexy, like it was a little bit hinting at romance. And so for me, that was like, oh, I read that one a lot too. (laughs) Was Anne in it? Anne was not in it. Actually, it was called, I think that it was about a, I'm going to use the word spinster because that's the word they use. It was about this spinster woman. She probably was in her
0: 20s, right? Yeah. That that was a time. Just unmarried, that's all.
1: Unmarried, living quite a miserable, like, grey life with quite unlikable relatives. And what she, I'm going to spoil it. She goes and she um, impulsively uh, marries a stranger. She actually, I think she asks a stranger to marry her. Wow. And then he surprisingly says yes. And they live together in the woods in this cabin. And they don't really talk that much. And she thinks that he doesn't love her at all, because she has imposed herself on him. her name is it's not Valerie it's like Valera that's where I fall down but anyway Mm. go out and find The Blue Castle okay and there's a big like passionate like passionate in finger quotes nobody they barely even kiss yeah but in the mind of like a nine year old reading this book oh yeah that's something check it out that whole Anne and
0: Gilbert thing that runs through all the books is... Oh, yes. Oof. Oh, yes. And then in
1: the 1980s version with Jonathan Crombie, who sadly died a few years ago oh, no. at a very young age. But he was a heartthrob. The way he looked at Anne, look at those eyes.
0: He meant it. There was some good acting. No, I think he meant it. I think he read the books and he fell in love with Anne too. Who wouldn't fall in love with Anne? She's delightful. She's a, a delightful character for all time. Did you want her to be your friend? Like how how did you think about Anne when you were reading the books about her? Yeah, I don't
1: think that I thought of myself as Anne and I don't think that I wanted to be her friend, I think because I just thought, well, this is a book from the olden days. Uh, yeah. She can't be my friend. Of course. Um, I think I just really, first of all, there was the the issue of just not looking for other books to read. So you you just kind of read the book that you have, and you read that book over and over and over and over and over and over again.
0: You weren't going to the library and getting different books all the time. Oh, uh,
1: I was, but we. It was just a book that I would read over and over again, hmm. and over the years, um, that really stuck with me. And maybe because Anne is also like a big part of like Canadian, yeah, culture, yep. and so I don't think I ever thought of myself as Anne. I think. Um, I would have had the sense by then, even as a kid, to realize that well, Anne is white, and you're not white, so you can't be Anne, because that brainwashing happens pretty early on. It does. Um, so, I just thought I think I liked the way she um smashed that slate over Gilbert's head and
0: had these bouts of rage. Yeah, she didn't hold it. D- she was fiery. She didn't hold back. Yeah, so I mean, I, she she was still polite about it. She wasn't that—she was pretty rough
1: around the edges, though, if you think about it. Before, the thing about Anne of Green Gables that never really gets explored in the book is that she was basically a child slave before she was adopted by Matthew and Marilla. If you think about yeah. the stories, she was—her parents died very young, and then she was adopted out to two horrible families that used her as a child laborer. And she talked about getting, getting beat, but they, they didn't dwell on it.
0: And, and so I think she had a lot of pain as a child— Anne was very specific in the way she looked. They were very, very particular about the long orange, you know, the red hair in long plaits Mm -hmm. and the dresses and the freckles. And she was unrelatable. And, again, you're right about the time that it was written in. Actually, that reminds
1: me. I had completely forgotten this. But when I was getting married, we had our wedding in Vancouver, and we had uh, my sisters and maybe my brother too. I'll say my brother so he's included, um, organised, like... It wasn't a, uh, what do they call them? A bat- it wasn't a bachelorette party, like, yeah. um, like a tea party. That sounds so chaste, but I guess that what that's what it was, at my mother's house. It was a bit silly. And they made these orange braids for everybody to wear in their hair. I'm just remembering this. Isn't that funny how you forget things that happen in your life? And so yes. clearly our collective family love of Anne of Green Gables is pretty powerful if they did that.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's something they identify as part of your growing up.
1: Because we watched that 1980s CBC um, TV uh, dramatization of Anne, Anne of Green Gables over and over and over again. So for us, it's not just the book. Yeah. It was also the movie and the people, the ca- the characters brought to life by, the, by that particular set of actors. And that's something that we could watch as a family that my mother was into as well. So I think that is probably why it it is such a, a strong book for me.
0: Well, it united you as a family. Yeah. How yeah. nice to do that over, yeah. over something cultural. Yeah. Yeah. Shall so we move on? Please. Okay. Could you please reveal the title and author of book two? My second book is
1: something entirely different. It's called Nothing to Envy, Love, Life and Death in North Korea, and it's by a journalist named Barbara Demick. Um, and so I have a bit of a fascination with life in North Korea. Okay. So I've read a few narrative nonfiction books about North Korea. And I remember when I heard about this one, I think I rushed out and I was like, gotta read it. And then I read it in about a weekend, just consuming it. I, because it's, it's by, she was, uh, I think she was the Korea correspondent for the Los Angeles Times. That's right. And She had traveled to North Korea, but wasn't really able to, you know, you go to North Korea as a journalist, what you hear mostly is you go on these tours, you have lots of binders. So rather than trying to do any original reporting in North Korea, I think she ended up interviewing a lot of um, defectors who came from the same part of North Korea and tried to construct a, a very detailed picture of what life was like at that time. And... Just some of the details that are, are relayed in the lives of the people, uh, like a woman who's a factory worker. She works six days a week. She's got four children. She The, the, the jobs in North Korea seem really spe- specific. She is uh, like a clerk for the bookkeeping department of the daycare in the factory. So not even like a clerk in the bookkeeping department of the factory, But the fact that the daycare has its own bookkeeping department to me is, like, a bizarre, strange detail. Um, You know, working 14 hours a day, every morning waking up and polishing her picture of Kim Jong-il on the wall, um, going to work at 7 o'clock in the morning, staying at work, having her children grow up in the factory daycare, then doing the self-education and then coming back home at 10.30 and then, like, repeating. It just... And to know that some of the stories, I think when I read it, and, and one of the people that she chronicled as a young woman, she was describing events in her life in the 21st century, right, or the late 90s. So that's a time that obviously I can remember in my life, and I can think and I can think back, well, I was a young adult then, but I wasn't on a mountainside picking blades of grass or having to do- donate my own skin for skin grafts to patients if I'm a doctor or a nurse in a hospital. So those details are really gripping, and and I think also we're living in interesting times politically, yeah. and so it is good to revisit stories of North Korea and acquaint yourself, if you aren't, of of how North Korea was created, and that political mess. So it gives a good summary there. Mm. Um, I just I find it really engrossing. I think. When I was when I was talking about this book with a friend of mine, she mentioned that there is another book that I haven't come across, which I now want to go read, which is Without You, There Is No Us. And it's by a South Korean journalist who went and worked as an investigative journalist in North Korea. But the issue with her book was when it pu- was published, it came out as a memoir. And she says she had her name is Suki Kim. And she says she had no idea that it was going to be a memoir until the very last minute. But then that engendered all sorts of issues because, uh, you know, she raises, the I think, a valid point of if she was a white male journalist, um, it would nobody would ever think of making it into a memoir. It would be reported. But of course, how could she hide in plain sight as an undercover journalist in in North Korea if she wasn't a South Korean woman? It's It's a very interesting question. I haven't read the book, but now I want to go and find it. This
0: book, yes, nothing to envy, is
1: beautifully written. it's it's engrossing. So it's an excellent example of narrative nonfiction because you do feel like you're reading stories of people and not news accounts. yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's al- really engrossing. It's
0: almost like a spy book, yeah, like a spy thriller yeah. With You know, without this, you know, same sort of drive. But it's an absolute page turner. Yeah, you can read it in
1: one go, just go through the night. I think that's how I read it. I think I started in one day and I read it until three o'clock in the morning. I was so fascinated by it. Have you
0: gone back to it?
1: Well, I just started reading it again to prepare to talk to you about this. And and I'm liking it again. It's really, really interesting. I have not... Uh, I don't remember
0: the stories as much as I used to, and so it's actually kind of fresh again. So, yeah, I like, wonder if the stories will have a different light considering the times that we're living in, as mm-hmm. you mentioned. Um, whether they'll resonate with you differently now than they did the first time you read it. I was actually wondering about some
1: of about how she verified some of the reporting. Um, well,
0: how would you? Their personal stories. Well, exactly.
1: And so I was just wondering if there's she's she's a very well known journalist. I'm mm-hmm. sure there would be interviews with her where she talked about that kind of thing um, but the way it's pieced together and the way it's written and the detail and and the characterization that she gives to all these people really uh, um,
0: makes it real yeah it's it's no longer an abstraction it's not a book that people would necessarily think oh I don't know what to read this weekend I'll just read this book about North Korea oh yeah you wouldn't but it's... I mean I would yeah. But, well, but I clearly, don't know about other people. Clearly yeah. you told me to read it yeah. and I did. I'm fascinated by it as well. But I i mean the thing that struck me the most is the first chapter where there's a photo of North and South Korea or well, the Korean... Uh, the Korean Peninsula and then there's the North Korea and the
1: South and South Korea.
0: And the the fact that the satellite picture from space shows South Korea quite illuminated. They have a lot of big cities. And North Korea is in complete darkness. And the fact that there were blackouts, 7pm, the electricity shut off and there was nothing. There wasn't a Starbucks on the corner. There wasn't an illuminated McDonald's sign. There was no big city um, with, you know, giant skyscrapers that have their lights on all night. There's no airport with, you know, lights on for planes to land. It was a complete shutdown. And, And I think... What she begins to explore from there is how, under the cover of darkness, yes, you can sneak out.
1: Yeah, and so how did people? How do people live their lives, uh, deprived of so many things? And that is one of the things we don't often hear about: is how do you set to your advantage? Yeah, um, it is a really, really fascinating book. I would really recommend it. If it's, it's one of those classic exercises of walk a mile in someone's
0: shoes, mm. Beverly, could yes. you please reveal the title and author of Book Three? <laughs> Yes, book 3
1: is by an Australian author and it's The Hate Race by Maxine boniba Clark. And it's another piece of non-fiction,
0: I just realized. I guess I must be into non-fiction. I think you just into really good stories <laughs> well told. It doesn't matter. Fair. Um so and Maxine yes, boniba Clark like, do you draw love hearts around her name sometimes? I love her so much. Maxine. Maxine
1: is wonderful because she's so active on social media. Yes. So you can follow Maxine on Instagram, which I do, um, and follow her on Twitter and basically see everything that she's doing. Mm. She seems to be uh, producing kids' books now, and I'm really excited yeah. to see what... Picture books. Right, so there's the Patchwork Bicycle, which I read in my house, and then there's a couple of other ones, I think, that are coming down the track. Um, so she... I, I started to read... I started to read The Hate Race because I really wanted to have Maxine on It's Not a Race. Maxine, are you listening? Um, but, you know, Maxine is really hard to get. Oh, my God. I've tried to get her She's for Desert Island Books, too. Maxine, you're Maxine, so hard to get.
0: We love you and we want to talk to you. Um,
1: but I, on the other hand, I also completely understand why she's busy and obviously you can choose to talk to whoever you want to Maxine but think about us next time. <laughs>
0: she's uh, just incredibly prolific which I find so inspiring. Yeah,
1: she's so smart, she's funny. I read The Hate Race in preparation for hopefully having a chance to talk to Maxine um for It's on a race. It's okay because I uh, another book that I just tore through. Yeah. That I read and you know, I think Maxine and I are a similar age. I think I might be a little bit older than Maxine anyway. Not that much older. Simi- um, <laughs>
0: similar is, simil is good. It was simil- a good generation. Aged. It was a
1: good some good decades there. Correct. Um, and uh, what struck me about this book, it, brilliant writing, amazing storytelling. Her family story, obviously, is really interesting and compelling, and she makes the historical connections to the Caribbean migration to the UK. Um, and then... Uh, you know, some of the racism that she documents growing up in Australia shocked me. I thought, well, yeah, like, I'm I'm a kind of person who I think is not surprised by how ra- bad racism can get. And I'm not proud of that fact. I just think uh, I'm not surprised, right? Um, but even then, there were some moments where I just thought, oh, you know... Wow. That's it's heartbreaking, isn't it? It is it is and it's so raw and it's so it's like a gut punch and you just think that is nuts. I mean, I believe it. I'm not disbelieving it, but I just it was really, really powerful. And uh, I think she does it with humor also and she and I just really like her Maxine. Did you hear that? <laughs> and she's great on she's great on social media. So I think she's just um she's like a living treasure that we have in
0: Australia. She's a a natural storyteller, oh totally, There's, and and whether it's her own life or the stories in foreign soil or the poems, yeah. Um the poetry her poems, collection. of course, yes,
1: and her even her Twitter, and even her Twitter feed. If you don't follow Maxine on Twitter, you're not fully enjoying what, Twitter. What's the point of There's being no on, point. Twitter, on, on Twitter? There's no point. You just cancel your account. That's, that's right. right.
0: But yeah, I found, I. I read this book and figured out we must be the same age because the cultural touchstones yes. are the same. She grew up in Sydney. I grew up in Melbourne. Very different um, ethnic backgrounds between the two of us, but still such a commonality between our ages. And I found myself—this is a terrible thing to say—but I wasn't that shocked by how yeah. horrendous people were to Well, her I didn't in grow up here, so um, well, I, well, I did. I've yeah. spent my whole life here, and and um, I feel like. You know, there's there's probably twice as many things that weren't said to her face that yeah. were that were thought by people. And I, I read that book, and I my heart just broke a thousand times. It, I wished I was in that schoolyard t- to defend. Not that she needs defending. She's but a, to be an ally. Woman. She can do it herself. Yes, exactly. And to to just, let her know that
1: that like. This is terrible, just to have someone commiserate with you. Exactly. Um, Yeah, totally. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah, schoolyards are...
0: Oh, brutal. Tough. Yeah. Really tough. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: I'm really looking forward to the stage adaptation of The Hate Race, which is coming out. That's
0: right. So she spent the bulk of this year writing a a play.
1: Yeah. Um, And I have started Foreign Soil, but I haven't. Um, finished it. I know. Just this is purely from my Instagram stalking of Maxine, <laughs> which clearly is very detailed because I'm telling you a lot about what she's doing. Um, she's she's traveling all to high schools all across Melbourne and possibly Victoria.
0: Isn't that amazing? And
1: teaching foreign soil.
0: Yeah, teaching foreign soil and not and, the hay
1: race. Oh, actually, you know, it, or is it both? I don't know. Maybe she's teaching, just what, teaching. teaching her her just books, teaching her um, writing, and it's extraordinary. I think. You know, I know some high school teachers and I was
0: trying to send it to them and said, you guys should get on this program. I don't know if they have, but how incredible to have Maxine come into your classroom and talk to you. It would have been eye-opening and life-changing at my school, I think, mm-hmm. in the years that I was there. <laughs> I was almost going to tell you, <laughs> but that's a private thing. Um, the, in summary, the Melbourne Book Club, again, with a range of ages, is... Um, the last comment that I annotated that day after our meeting was, this must be taught in schools, and it was underlined. Really? Well, that's how emphatic the, ta- the whole table so was. were people mostly about supportive and enthusiastic about the, about the book? Yes. There weren't they, any... They were shocked. Yeah. Um, they were shocked, and it didn't it didn't marry up with their experience of high school and again because we have a range of, of people in the book club who have different life experiences um and grew up at different different times um but the overwhelming feeling was young people need to read this, this Oh, and th- it's, this needs to stop it's very accessible it's it's yeah, yeah it's a great book and when i say this needs to stop the vitriolic racism needs to stop and young people need to read this book because what you what you learn from reading it is is what maxine experienced the other
1: reflection i have about the hate race is that growing up in the 1980s and going to school was just brutal. Yeah, teachers, at least from my experience, did not care about bullying. They did not do any anti-bullying education. It was really just the rules of the jungle. It's I remember a out. kid threw a rock at my face. Waited for me to come out of the classroom. He was this bully, this boy, and he showed up and he threw I threw a rock and it hit me on the side of my face. Oh, Beverly and I think I. I tried to talk to a teacher about it and got nothing. And I just think now because my husband is a high school teacher and I know that they do very extensive anti-bullying education and they're very um, vigilant about it. And I'm I'm so happy when I hear that because I think about that and I think it's crazy that as a kid someone would have done that to me and I
0: would have – and same in the hate race. Yeah. That you just wouldn't have felt supported. There's not an adult to tell – where you feel like something will be done or you will be protected. I mean, the 80s was way. a wild time to be a kid. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I'm not saying that the 60s
1: and 70s were a picnic, but this is my experience that we basically, on the one hand, were very free to do whatever you wanted. Yeah. I would take the bus downtown at like the age of like 11 and 12 with my friend and we'd just wander around the city streets of Vancouver, downtown, right? Yeah. And just get on the bus and go back home and no big deal. So that was probably incredible. And I doubt I would ever let my own child do that. At eleven and twelve, these days, um, but at the other, on the other hand, we just didn't. I just didn't tell my family or my parents these kinds of
0: things. There's kind of this, I don't know, this instinct not to. There was a lot of internalized. I mm. mean, we weren't taught. We didn't know what. And we you didn't was. know we to speak out about, about it. Yeah. What is it? I, I don't stop. I don't like it. Yeah. Whole, that whole conversation that the kids are taught now from primary school age: yes. if someone's doing something you don't like, tell them to stop, yeah. and if they don't stop, mm. tell an adult. God. <laughs> who would have listened? Like who would have done anything? So there is some cultural change that's happened. So Yeah. Uh yeah, we do have to acknowledge that. We but. should be grateful for that, but um but yes, re- you know, reflecting back. Oh, what?
1: it was brutal. It yeah. was wild. It was nuts. It's oh like Stranger Things but without the supernatural element. Well, the 80s weren't that long
0: ago. I insist on saying 30 years ago. Well, it wasn't that long ago. I remember it clearly. Yes, well, speaking of the 80s this is another terrible segue what are you reading at the moment I'm rereading nothing to envy (laughs) bravo uh what am I reading at the moment oh
1: I have I start a lot of books and then I don't finish them okay so I have lots and lots of books that I have read the first few pages of and then I stop is that
0: because they don't grab you or because the time it's a mix it's a mix um I am
1: reading a book called The Dirty Girls Social Club. Okay. Dirty Girls Social Club is a novel by Elisa Valdez. After Zinzi Clemens confronted Juno Diaz at the Sydney Writers' Festival and caused him to immediately leave the Sydney Writers' Festival, um, another writer, Elisa Valdez, wrote a blog post where she talked about her relationship with judo diaz
0: yes i have read this yes yeah. and,
1: and and she was talking about her book yeah. the dirty Girls social club that's right uh and i thought well i'm curious about this book because i think she talked about how he he coached her a little bit with her writing but also critiqued it and she's looking back now and analyzing it from this lens of me too that we have now um so i just got curious and i started reading it and uh she talks about about in her blog post I think about how when her book came out it was classified as chiclet it's interesting right That uh women authors related like you know thinking about Suki Kim as well and her her book about North Korea um don't get taken seriously so she talked about how her book was taking on a lot of issues and a lot of conversations about race and all sorts of things that that are just as heavy as you know Books written by men, but because she's a woman, it gets slapped. You know, it kind of gets like a uh, sort of a beach read kind of cover slapped on it. Yeah, and the assumption is that it's lighter. And it's paperback, and you know, got pictures of high heels on it, and it. the name gets changed, and Easier so it doesn't get taken seriously. Right.
0: Thought, you don't need to have any thoughts when you read it. You right. breeze through it.
1: And because it's an easy read again, That's because right. the characters are really well actualized, and there's kind of a zip to the way she's she's written it. That skill actually doesn't get valued for what it is. It just kind of gets read as, oh, well, it's a quick read airport fiction.
0: That's like the worst insult you could give right. a writer, isn't it? Well, actually, you know, if you write airport
1: fiction, you're probably rich. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll
1: tell you what. No, I read Anna Green Gables and um, the Little House, Prairie, Little House on the Prairie series. I feel like I read them, like, I just would cross back and forth, cross back and forth. And... I, I don't know. Maybe there's some retrospective analysis about what that, how that shaped my girlhood. But I really just read those two books. And then later on, I read Sweet Valley High. Oh, yeah. It's too old for baby, Babysitter's Club. That didn't shape me. But recently, for It's Not a Race, I went back and read some Sweet Valley High. And that stuff is problematic. Oh. That is some troubling stuff. That is
0: a capital P that she said with the problematic words. Yeah. Rates yeah how that is so toxic feminizing get... <laughs> right there. It's really, really bad. Why did we love it? It was available? Why were we addicted to it
1: though? serial fiction i think I think there was there's not that much self-reflection when I, I wasn't that self-reflective as a kid mm. so I didn't recognize that reading about the five foot seven. Um, twi- Wakefield twins who were identical except for, like, a mole on the cheek or something. I think there was not that much – there wasn't that much selection. Mm. There wasn't that much self-reflection and
0: – Zero representation.
1: Zero representation, but I don't even think I knew to ask for representation.
0: But what was the first book you read and went, oh, oh wow, this is actually me. This, this character looks like me or talks like me or has a family like me. Well, that's a cliché too
1: because that's probably Joy Luck Club. Okay, And The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan is about Chinese Americans, which is not exactly what I am. I'm Taiwanese-Canadian.
0: It's completely different. But it different. was
1: adjacent enough that you could hang on to it. So I think probably Joy Luck Club.
0: And But how old were you?
1: Um, a you don't teenager, to maybe? Disclose. Okay, teenager. teenager? Yep. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Mine was looking for Ella Brandy. Uh, someone mentioned that to me um, last year.
0: And I said, what's that? And the looks that they gave me, <laughs> like you don't know what that is. I'm not giving you any grief for not having yeah. read it, but it um, is written by an Italian yes. Australian yeah. woman. It's about you know what you do on your weekends when you're at Nonna Nonna's house. You yeah. know you don't you don't have you know Grandma and Grandpa and they take you on walks and field trips and whatnot. You're making sauce in the backyard. Sounds delicious. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to see myself in a book to enjoy it, but no, I no. but I enjoy seeing myself in a book.
1: That's right. I think. That's it. that's that you've said it. You've said it just right. It's not like um, I want to rewrite Anne of Green Gables in seriousness and say she's got to be an Asian character. Um, Anne can stand. Anne's allowed to be there, and I'm allowed to identify with her and love her, even though she's a you know a Victorian orphan on growing up on the opposite side of the country where I grew up. Uh, it was just a great story, and I loved it.
0: Beverly, thank you for joining me on your desert island. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You can read this episode's show notes, including a list of all the books we discussed on the Goodreads page, and you can find the link to that on the library website, www.melbournelibrarieservice.com.au on the read page. I'd love to hear about your desert island books. What are you taking with you when you escape? Tweet at Library with the hashtag Desert Island Books and let me know the books that you simply cannot live without. You can download previous Desert Island Books episodes in your favourite podcast app or at SoundCloud or iTunes. Just search for Melbourne Library Service. Happy reading.